Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and we're really happy to have on today general manager and founder of Infinitum Squash, which is, which is based out of Boston in the U.S., uh, Chesson Gertler. Uh, now, Chesson, uh, I'd describe as one of the uh, outliers in the squash world. Uh, he's taking a, uh, a, a unique approach uh, to the game and to the development and the business model of, of the game in order to grow it uh, in many respects, but particularly uh, in terms of the business model that, that he has in mind. And also uh, with respect to uh, player development, uh, juniors in particular, but across the board pretty much. And uh, we discuss a lot about that on the prog- on the podcast. Um, now with Infinitum Squash, he's assembled an, an incredible team there, uh, headed up by his uh, director of squash, uh, Nick Taylor, who was on my uh, podcast, who was on this podcast uh, several months ago. And uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one as well. Uh, and you can see why uh, why he chose Nick because I think they're cut from the same cloth. Very very passionate about uh, growing the game. And uh, Nick is part of that team, amongst others, uh, that, that he's assembled there at Infinitum Squash. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. And uh, just before uh, we get into it, uh, a bit of an apology. I've been on a, a relatively uh, long uh, hiatus. Uh, normally I try to get out a, a podcast every uh, week, one a week, uh, sometimes two. But uh, I've been quite busy at work. But that uh, busy period is over, and we've got uh, several uh, in the hopper uh, as uh, as. I speak right now so I know you're going to enjoy this one and we've got several upcoming after this so stay tuned for those but uh, yes episode 86 today with Chess and Gertler of Infinitum Squash. Episode uh, 86 we have today uh, the founder and GM of uh, Infinitum Squash out of Boston. Uh, He's also a former uh, U.S. junior number one member of the junior national team in in the U.S. back in the day. Also a member of the Harvard Varsity Squash team that was uh, successful back during his time as well. And uh, I would like to say, uh, and also in the words of Richard Millman, um, one of uh, the squa- one of the outliers in the squash community, uh, Chesson Gertler. Chesson, uh, great to have you uh, on the podcast and uh, good to hear your voice. Thank you for the nice introduction. It's nice to hear a compliment from Richard like that. It means a lot. Absolutely, yeah. He, uh, uh, I enjoyed that uh, that podcast episode with him. I, I'd known him uh, in the squash community for quite a while, and uh, he's one of those outliers as well. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, just someone who's passionate and committed to the sport, and has been for the long haul, and I think recognizes all the great things about it, and also all the challenges we face with growing it, um, and with educating both the people already within the communities, but also those who haven't joined yet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, now before we get into uh, things a little bit, uh, just wanted to know how generally how things are going uh, for you uh, at Infinitum uh, these days. They're going really exceptionally well. I mean, we started really from scratch in a part of the Boston suburbs that did not have a lot of squash compared to a lot of the other hot pockets um, in the Boston area and. We've been working incredibly hard, but also growing really, really nicely. You know, all sorts of affiliate school programs have gotten into the mix. A great growing membership that ranges in age from <laughs> three and four up until 70. <laughs> right. our, one of our members turned 70. And um, 
the you know Nick Nick is really an incredible visionary in terms of program development, and he's done a great job, I think, balancing sticking to his guns about how you build great squash, uh, a great squash pathway, a pathway for development for all levels and ages, but also you know, being learning and adapting and being realistic about the realities of contemporary life here in an, an intense part of the United States. And uh, he's just doing an incredible job. And we're so fortunate to have him. And he and I have a great, um, a great sort of camaraderie about how we go about trying to build this thing as best we can. So we've got a huge growing junior component. We've got a big growing adult membership. We've got um, professional and top college players training out of our facility. And we've got a growing women membership, which is really important to us. Mm. Um, and I think really important for the whole the game, but also the the junior game as well, particularly for our, our girls, uh, our, you know, our girls here. Um, and we've also got in the works uh, some doubles courts, which I think is going to add a whole new element, which frankly I should have done from the very beginning. But Squash doubles, yeah. Budget. So everything. Yep. Yeah. I mean, everything. That's you. I mean, uh, 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 double squash in the U.S. Uh, I mean, they have. Uh, I think the Ista Tour is still uh, relatively uh, lively, up and running these days, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a really good and growing um, component of the game, which is the hardball doubles component, and mm. it's it's important for a few reasons. I mean, there's a big social component with it, and people can play much generally tend to play later in life than they do singles for yeah. some of those orthopedic impact reasons of the sport. But there's also a real family component to it. And there's a growing junior membership and um, it's just, a, it's a very fun, uh, and it's a unique social component of squash in the United States. And one that frankly, I wasn't particularly familiar with. I never grew up playing doubles. It wasn't part of the club. Star and, well, I guess uh, hardball. I mean, back when I, I was a uh... much still, but I've, No, I was going to say back when I was a junior uh, in the U.S. Anyways, it was more of a the hardball scene was very, very. Uh, uh, I mean, it was much more popular than than softball uh, is the way it is now. Back in the uh, the late eighties, uh, early nineties. Yeah, so, yeah. The uh, the the hardball squash is that's what's really growing. It's the hardball squash doubles, um, and I love I love softball doubles as well. I think, mm. I think there's a really great place, really great ability for growth in that, but. The real, you know, the real kind of unique cultural um, element is, this, is to, to the areas, in particularly the East Coast of the United States, is hardball doubles, and um, you know, we're excited to add it, add it to the mix of what we're doing. Um, I think it's only just going to sort of add to, you know, the environment that we've created over at the club and are continuing to build. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, just to you, you mentioned earlier, uh, Nick Taylor. I just want to go through. Uh, uh, at least the, the org chart that I have in front of me, uh, the Infinitum org chart, it's uh, yourself as general manager, uh, Nick Taylor, the director of squash, and then you have, uh, this is where it gets a bit sketchy for me, but I think I've got it. Matt, uh, now you might have to help me with the, the, the pronunciation here. Is it Sidway? Yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt Sidway. Matt Sidway and Sil yeah, Sylvie. Uh, yeah. Zimbadi. 
and uh, Campbell Grayson. So Matt Matt Sidaway is our, our head pro now. He's okay. former European number one. He's won every age group in the English Junior National Division. Um, he's a phenomenal squash player. Just an mm. absolutely unbelievable squash player. Um, I, I, I love, you know, I don't get to see him that much because he's teaching a ton, but I love watching him compete. Such a skilled squash player. It kind of blew me away the first time because I didn't know really? how, how good of uh, a player he was. I mean, he was a great coach. But uh, yeah, he's just got an absolute cannon of a forehand. Um, okay. Just such, such high level squash. There's a few, future hardball doubles partner for you there. Exactly. He's probably the number <laughs> one, um, the number one uh, hardball doubles recruit in the country, I would say. Really, yeah. Um, so he's he's also just a great guy. He's funny. He's charismatic. Um, he's a really great um, addition to the team. Mm. So then we also have, so Sylvie is she's you know our first kind of local addition. So she's a Hungarian national. Uh, she's been in the Boston area for a really long time. She's actually interestingly what's great about Sylvie is she is a member of the Hungarian national squash and the Hungarian national badminton team. And okay. She's she's uh, in her mid forties now, and she's still competing. Um, she's still an awesome player. She's an incredible athlete, uh, and she's just a really great addition as well. She's the head coach of the Windsor School, which is a Boston area school, and she's developed their um, junior program from basically from scratch into really one of the top programs in the country. So she's a she's a skilled coach. She's a great player. She's a great person, and she's a really great um, program builder. And that was one of the main reasons. Um, those were all the reasons why we really wanted to bring her on board on the team. So she's working in she's in a limited capacity. She's not full time with us, but she does spend a lot of time at the club, a lot of time uh, helping us develop our programs. She runs our women's clinics. Uh, she does some work with our junior juniors. She still trains um, over there. So she's been awesome. That's and good. then um, lastly, we have we have Campbell Grace, who's a touring mm. pro, who just had a pretty successful um, bout at the British. Yeah, I, well, I watched him uh, watched his and, match uh, against uh, Rodriguez yesterday, and, and he played really well. He just got a bit, a uh, little bit unlucky there towards the end, but he he definitely uh, had the right game plan in the games that were close, to the, uh, the the second and third. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Campbell's he's a really he's a great player. Uh, he's a great competitor, you know, but he's he's 32, so he's he's in the twilight of his career. So he might be playing for another year. He might be playing for another three years. You know, it might be six months. He's so, but he's you know he's getting older, and he's he's interested and passionate about that next step when he does retire from the tour. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's just been an awesome addition, working with Nick, um, through Nick's coach mentoring, running some of our elite programming. Um, and, and working with our juniors uh, and working with our sort of with our adult members as well and he's he's been he's been phenomenal so we're very lucky to, to have him i think fortunately for me he married one of my my harvard teammates so oh okay uh, had uh, an interest in her and <laughs> so it was uh, it was a, a fortuitous a fortuitous marriage for me Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Now, um, before we, uh, obviously, we're going to get into uh, Infinitum and your approach and your vision a little more deeply. Uh, uh, but I'd like to uh, to look a bit more into your backstory, if you don't mind, uh, Chesson. Now, you were U.S. number one at the junior level and a member, as, as you just mentioned, of Harvard Squash Varsity team. 
So, uh, play, and you also played for the junior national team there. So what was it uh, during those early years? Uh, what were those years like for you in terms of uh, developing your passion for the game and how it's sort of come uh, uh, to what it is uh, now with Infinitum, how, how it's sort of uh, manifested itself that way? Sure. So I, I, I grew up in the Boston suburbs where I've opened up this club. I went to Harvard, which is nearby. Just was in, have been really in love with this game since I was 12 or 13 and worked hard at it, really just running around, smacking a ball. I mean, it wasn't a ton of thought. I didn't have a ton of thought as a player in retrospect. Um, mm. Made it to a, a decent, you know, a, a decent level that would allow me to play for a really a great team. Um, played, through co- played in college, and I was an East Asian Studies major, so I, I was out in China for a year after college, and I got settled into my apartment in Nanjing and I went for a walk and I found that I happened to be next to the uh, Nanjing Provincial Squash Center and there was five beautiful ASD courts. So I was like, man, I can't really escape this. <laughs> so, you know, in my year after college, I played squash, played badminton, played table tennis. Uh, I came back, kind of bounced around. I was working in design and architecture for a while. I was working in finance for a while. And I was out on the West Coast still playing squash at, at Stanford. I was in New Haven for three years, continued to play squash. Um, and I really, you know, this I wanted to do something entrepreneurial at this point for my career, but also just out of personal interest. And I thought about, you know, I, I explored a lot of different things that I was passionate about. And the squash really was in terms of my passion, my knowledge, my interest and really my kind of network in, in the area was really, you know, at, at the top. So I decided to do something in squash and, and just really just to kind of go for it. So we mm. figured out how to, how to work with this existing club. We built four courts. Things picked up very quickly. We made a decision to build four more um, based on the, the growth that was going on and, having eight courts opened up a whole host of opportunities that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So not only does it allow for bigger programming and more memberships, but it allows us to run and host school programs. It allows us also to host bigger tournaments. So now we're hosting U.S. We have a U.S. junior silver this weekend. We hosted the junior championship for tournament uh, in February, which is an amazing thing for us Mm. because did previously hosted by Harvard, and for you know a dedicated squash club to host a you know the highest level junior tournament in the United States, and, and not to be a Harvard University or an Andover, it was a really cool thing. And there was a really you know what's what's generally a very difficult clientele um, and very critical clientele under a lot of stress. Uh, I'm speaking about parents and coaches and, and yeah. players. There was a huge amount of positivity in that tournament. I mean, I was stunned because I just sort of, I usually just sit in the crowd and work on my laptop and I hear what people say and uh, a ton of just a, a buzz, great interest. People loved what we were doing, how we had put the courts together. Um, so, mm. you know, that, that, was, that was very encouraging and very exciting. But, you know, we continue to continue kind of build this thing well kind of I, just to work. just to interrupt you there i mean the, the facility you you built there sort of would basically you had that in mind right catering to uh 
to a younger sort of you know, uh, to 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 parents with children who play squash. So I guess the way you built your your facility had had that in mind. So that would have uh, rubbed off on uh, on the parents and the coaches that were there. I'm sure. Yeah, I think more than you know, focus. So I think the, the best way to describe how we wanted to create this program was to create a program that was really not a non-hierarchical program, um, and that mixes ages and levels and doesn't prioritize adults and doesn't prioritize men. If anything, we prioritize juniors and we prioritize yeah. women. Um, but it's really non-hierarchical. So if you come to one of our you know, evening training sessions, you'll see a seven-year-old from our, like one of our top like, junior players on court with an adult player. Um, and we do a lot of you know, a lot of technical work, but we also just do a lot of just straight up competitive condition work. And we've got eight courts and we'll have three, you know, anywhere between two and four people on a court, usually about three people on a court. And we'll, we'll get into these uh, competitive drills and, you know, basically, basically we'll do like four minute sessions um, based on a theme or whatever the practices of the day It's led by Nick or by Matt or by Campbell. And um, it's, it's level adjusting. So if you win, you move left right and you know at the very beginning you might be on someone at a very different level than you you might be on court with someone who you have you know from a level perspective no business being on court with but about 15 20 minutes it gets completely adjusted so what it does is it gives it gives kids uh it gives kids and adults a chance to see to gauge their improvement and to see mm-hmm. where they could be and it's it's obviously frustrating at times you know to get deep um and to be on that bottom court, but it also gives people motivation and it gives people stuff to work on. And, you know, you might be on court with, with Campbell or you might be, you know, we have some of our junior girls are on, you know, might be on court with Amanda Sobe. It's, it's oh, really right. exciting. Um, right. And that's something that Nick, you know, Nick uh, really stuck to his guns about us doing and it worked, which was really exciting. And then afterwards, Matt, said to me he said oh man this is this never worked in manchester and i said oh wow they never told me that but um <laughs> it it's been working really really well and both you know both our higher level players and our lower level players i think respect it and enjoy it um and it's just really a different attitude than a lot of what's out there and the numbers make a huge difference and the interest makes a huge difference huge difference in the ethos of this program as not just a place to come and play squash, although you can obviously do that and we have people that do that, but a place really to come and work on your squash and to improve, mm. work to improve, um, you know, no matter, no matter your level. That's really, that's really, like, I think, the underlying principle of what we're trying to do. Oh, I love it. And uh, I guess when people realize that that's the, the case, then they, you know, they show up and everyone's of, of the same mindset and on the same page. So that, that's really... Uh, what you want to try to achieve in that in that type of situation, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, a big in, you know now that our numbers are at a critical mass, now our our adult programming is really taking off, and so and this mixes juniors and adults. But you know, we've got a a great um, box league series going on that's specific to levels that our our members, our juniors and our adults, are really enjoying. We have special events with, with clinics um, and you know themed exhibitions we did a couple exhibitions at our facility and other facilities and something we do is just again nick's nick's 
sort of foresight into making the game appeal and interesting to people is rather than just having top-level pros play, he takes them through drill sessions. And it's the same drills that we take our 10-year-old beginners through or our beginner adults through. And then if you see Campbell Grayson and, and Todd Harity um, doing the same post-drive sequence that you're doing, it's, it's interesting, it's relatable, and it's also very motivating and exciting. And oh, Devin. Yeah. It was all, we're trying to just do a lot of stuff, create a, create a real buzz and a real community, and grow, because ultimately my, my real passion is in elite development, but I think elite development doesn't come from elite development. Elite development comes from grassroots development. Comes from the ground and up, yeah. yeah. I think that it sure does yeah and that's a, that's a really important of well it's uh, it's approaching i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong it's uh, two years since the official launch almost two years um so just in terms of that uh, have things uh, obviously it sounds like they've lived up to uh, your expectations and then some so uh what is your your well in terms of that what's your vision uh, going forward well i think you know, I want to keep growing this program. Obviously, squash is not, it's not it's something, it's not a, an industry with hugely high margins. Um, but I think my, my initial goal was to make this a viable business. Um, and we're still working towards that. It's going extremely well. Um, my goal, you know, zoomed in is to really grow the squash program and continue to grow it. We have opportunities to expand into different facilities. Um, every season we have more partner programs of uh, being asked to open clubs in different areas. Uh, I'm working with clubs in the city and outside the city to, to bring our programming and also kind of the basic framework of what we do from a coaching and program perspective, but also in terms of how we structure the economics um, and, and, and try to make, you know, viable squash a financially viable program. So that's, or financially viable activity from a business perspective. So that's one component of it. Um, the other component is, you know, long term for me, I want my goal is to stand beyond sport itself and to take this vision um, and the ethos and the framework we, we know from squash, which we know intimately, into a whole host of other sports and other activities. And one of the things that I think needs to be addressed in just current trends in these intense, wealthy parts of the United States are the way we, we approach junior development and sport development in general. And the problem, you know, so the, the good things are you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of wealthy, committed, interested parents um, but there is a huge amount of over-prescription of time, um, and there's a lot of structured time. And kids these days, almost the entirety of their day is structured. And I think this is problematic, A, because it's, it's just from a mental health perspective, it's not great. You need to have time off to be free, to enjoy yourself, to, to think um, without pressure. But also pragmatically from a sport development perspective you need to have unstructured time to play and you need to play in the true sense of play and you don't get good at squash uh, from taking a lesson exclusively you get good at squash from 
lot, uh, taking a few lessons, doing group work, and combining that all together. And, and it's not just squash, it's all sport, um, and it's also all other activities, whether it's music or extracurriculars. And so we've been really adamant about that in our programming. Our It's a three-part programming model from a squash perspective. So mm-hmm. you get your technical work and your foundation and your individual lessons, you have so sorry, Chesson. Just to interrupt, you're you're trying to uh, you're 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 basically what as you mentioned uh, when we talked before the podcast, you're you're basically trying to deal with that uh, helicopter parenting uh, dynamic that exists uh, today. Yeah, we're trying to deal with the helicopter parenting dynamic, not not for the sake of getting rid of the helicopter parent, but no. but we want to educate want to educated, interested parents to say, look, if you want your kid to have the the potential to be the best athlete he or she can be, it's a combination of prescribed and unprescribed time. And that, you know, I think our, our development model is individual lessons, technical foundation, group work is competition, it's, it's competitive, um, but pressure free practice where you hone that technical work. And the third component is, is competition. And you need to be able, kids need to be able to get on a squash court and play squash with each other for fun. Uh, and, work on the stuff that they're working on the lessons without the eyes of their parents, without the eyes of their coach. Mm. And we always want to develop, Nick always says this, we want to develop um, self-reliant players, not coach-dependent players. And that's a huge component of that. And it has implications in every activity kids do. And so, you know, my ultimate vision and what I'm working on right now is expanding into different sports, expanding into different activities, but taking this ethos of you're really trying to help kids be self-reliant, and independent in a way that really maximizes excellence. Um, so that's beyond the squash, but I think it, you know, it, it speaks to kind of how we build our squash program. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Nick and uh, I've seen, I mean, I've had him on the podcast and we've talked quite a bit about uh, how he, his approach towards coaching and uh, coaching young juniors. So um, just wondering, um, He's got a you know a tremendous squash brain. He's done it all, both at the uh, professional level and uh, in terms of player development. So, just looking back in terms of uh, uh, Nick, when did when did he appear on on the Infinitum uh, radar, and what was it about Nick that uh, fit what you had, basically what you just spoke about, uh, what you had in mind? Yeah. So when I decided to open this up, I put out advertisements, and I got fifty or sixty. Uh, applications from around the world and I got an application from Nick Taylor and he said hi I'm Nick Taylor you know here's my resume blah 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 and I said no, I, I obviously know who you are I don't don't need your resume you, you thought it was the guy from Duran Duran right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I I also have a friend named Nick, named Nick Taylor who's a a whiskey education entrepreneur oh, okay so, and, and Nick Taylor the squash coach so it's, it's, there's a whole host of Nick Taylor's out there. Yeah. Um, so he all three, but he he uh, he came and he visited, and it was a combination of you know, his his passion, uh, his knowledge, and he also honestly like his quirkiness and his independent thought. He really mm. thinks there's no pressure on him. He doesn't feel a pressure to think or behave the way he's expected to. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of his coaching, he's just unbelievably thoughtful um, and committed to, you know, 
in committed to being thoughtful about it uh, mm. as a coach. And, you know, he never acquiesces to expectations in terms of what he's doing, how he's coaching, um, and how he's delivering that. And, and that has, it's rubbed off on me and the rest of the team where, like, you know, someone will come to us and say, like, you know, parents really want this. And we'll say, look, we're not here to give parents what they want and to take a check. We are here to educate and to give the best quality we can give if it turns them off and they want to leave. That's beyond our control. But Nick really was adamant and believed that, believed very strong in how he would set up and deliver a program. And that's really what it, uh, attracted um, me to him and to bring him into the program from the beginning. And you, know, and you, you obviously, uh, I mean, you knew what you knew what he did, what he achieved in uh, in Jersey as well. So, uh, I mean, that that was uh, mind boggling. His ability exactly. to to create what he did there. Yeah, and that was a, that was a big part of it. I mean, I knew he was capable. I knew he was um, experienced uh, beyond just being thoughtful. But you know, I'm, and I and I told him I said when before he came out over and over again, I, I said to him, "Look, this is a very, very, very different environment." than what you are used to and he said i believe you i know and i'm and i'm up for a challenge um and it, it has it has proven to be an extremely dif different environment on a whole host of levels and he's he, he would he'll you know he'll be the first person to tell you how challenging it's been but he's also really stuck to his guns and he's really worked hard to adapt um you know what he's done back in the uk and in the channel islands to this, this environment here in the United States, and it's just you know what he's what he's putting together is awesome. Um, so you know we really he, he's also you know just to zoom out of it, he's just he's an honest, hardworking, mm. thoughtful person. And I think when you're building a business, those are the three most important things. Um, and that that spoke that spoke a lot to me um, from the very beginning. Yeah, that really came through uh, when I when I spoke with him. I really that was one of the best uh, podcast, one of the best interviews I've done, I, I think. And uh, and he was great. He definitely a passion for the game, and he has uh, you know a vision, a, a way that he approaches it that uh, definitely definitely works. Now, now you mentioned uh, in 2017. I think it was right around the the time of uh, of the launch of um, of Infinitive. You mentioned that. Uh, uh, squash was was at a, an inflection point. It was I think it was in a magazine article. Uh, do you still feel uh, that way currently about, about squash? And uh, if so, what what sort of uh, change are you are you uh, do you think is necessary in order to bring the game to to the to another level, especially uh, in the U.S. And is that kind of uh, basically what you're you're aiming towards? Yeah, I do, and I think there's a few there's a few different angles I can answer that. Um, I think I, if you, there's a newspaper article I was interviewed in when I was I think like 14 or 15, and I was I was quoting that newspaper article I was like this is a great sport. You all you need is a racket, like a pair of goggles, and a pair of shoes and a wall. Um, <laughs> and yeah. you know, from a material from a base perspective, it, it doesn't require a lot. I think the culture of the game and where the game is played and the environments it's played in in the United States are very niche, they're very restrictive. Mm. The game's not available to masses. If you look at where our club is, east of our club are some of the wealthiest towns in the Boston suburbs. West of our club is Framingham 
Massachusetts, which is the largest town in the United States, because if it got any bigger, it'd be technically a city. So the bulk of my clientele is in, is in these wealthy towns uh, and in Boston proper. If I could get every kid in Framingham to pick up a squash racket and to give it a shot, we'd have an Egyptian-like situation in the mm-hmm. next 10 years. Um, yeah. We'd have a world camp. It's just that's it's a numbers game. Um, well, just looking, I mean, looking at the U.S. squash over the last 10 years anyways, uh, things have really, really uh, improved a lot. I and mean, Things have grown a lot, and, and the, the quality, at least at the highest levels, and, and I think throughout the juniors uh, globally, uh, uh, has risen over the last few years. Yeah, the, the sport, I mean, there's a long way to go, and U.S. squash, there's still a lot of changes that need to made by U.S. squash to increase access um, to the game. And I think a major one of those changes is um, there, has to be, there has to be some significant restructuring and consideration of how rankings and ratings are derived. Um, it's very price prohibitive at this point to, to even get a high ranking, let mm-hmm. alone get to the level. If you consider, if you look at the Junior Championship Tour, the amount of travel on its own, just in you know, hotels and airfare, that's a major expense. Then you look at, you know, what a parent or guardian or coach would have to take off in terms of time from work. You factor that in, then you factor in the expense of coaching to get to that level, um, time off from school, commitment. I mean, it's just it's very prohibitive. I think the I think U.S. squash needs to move to more of a regional model mm. in its rate rankings and ratings. I think there needs to be more funding. Um, that's one component. That being said, the sport's growing like crazy. And if you saw our JCT, the level, particularly among the girls, the level was just absolutely world class. Mm. It was absolutely world class. It was really, really impressive. Um, the boys were solid too. Um, still, I think, significant room for improvement, but the, the girls were, were, are amazing at the levels they're at right now. So I think um, in terms of development of the sport, if you also look at a few other trends, there is a huge interest. Um, so the, one of the points of our program is, and something that we espouse is the fact that you can learn the sport at any age. Um, right. And if you think, and if you work on it technically, you can enjoy it more, you can get more exercise out of it. And so mm-hmm. that's a big thing. If you look at interest in young professionals, interest in college age people in fitness, in body sculpting, um, squash is a huge application there. I mean, look at, Core power yoga, Barry's boot camp, Peloton, all this stuff. The fact that squash hasn't quite hit that yet, I think it's only a matter of time, and that's something I'm really pushing for. It's a great sport um, from uh, in terms of the economy of how much, how many calories you can burn in a short amount of time, the degree of exercise you can get. I mean, all that stuff's really yeah, appealing. Well, I mean, it's a dynamic, it's a dynamic game. Yeah. I mean, you get out there and you play squash. Uh, I mean, you're working all the muscles, you're, work, uh, you're losing calories, you're having fun. It ticks all the boxes. Why, and I'm, I'm not sure why it's it not out there, that, uh, uh, why it's not out there in that way. It ticks all the boxes. And it also, I mean, it's also a game that it's, it's interesting and it's a mm. mental workout as well. And we get, Nick talks about so the mental aspect of the game and, and the mental workout you get. And we do the, he has these workouts or these, sessions he does where he says this is more of a mental workout than a physical workout so what would they entail uh, just more complex drill sessions um 
more limitations, more sequences in terms of how the drills are set up. And rather than just going out there and running yourself ragged, after an hour of work, you, you obviously have, have worked out significantly, but it's in that last 15, 20 minutes of drills, that concentration and what it takes to focus on hitting the ball where you're supposed to hit it, doing the right sequence. Now, I, I remember earlier in the week, uh, a group of us played a three-quarter court, and it was the first time uh, these two other guys had really played it before. And I, I don't know how many points they'd lost by they, they continued to hit it into that uh, quarter that they weren't supposed to hit it into. It's exact, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. And so I think you know, that it's it's that component too, and that's what, that's what's most addictive about it. Because once people get over the hump of the physical, the endorphins of the game, it's that mental aspect of it that really is what is the icing mm-hmm. on the cake. So that's that's one component of it. And I think you see what they, you know, the Amazonization of retail space in the United States, you see mall space that's going empty, strip malls um, that are looking for tenants, uh, mall space that's looking for tenants, and you're starting to see exercise facilities move into malls, um, move into ground-level retail uh, in cities and in suburban settings, and I think there's a real opportunity there for, for squash. So that's one component of it, you know, the the fact that it is an opportunity for it to move into that space and it, it appeals to all level, all ages and, and all levels and can learn at any age. You know, another reason I really do think there's an inflection point in the game is that if you look at this kind of traditional prep school, uh, prep school squash culture, you know, for the last 15 years, 20 years, you've seen these schools build these massive, massive beautiful, high-end, expensive facilities that are funded by donors and the school and alumni. And the school wants to build these facilities because you, you can put it on a pamphlet and make the alumni happy. You send the pamphlet abroad. You get kids from overseas coming over wanting to play in that. I think we're a little bit past that at this point. And I think people are really starting in these schools. I think people are starting to be more savvy. The schools are starting to be more savvy. Parents are starting to be more savvy because the competition for college is a lot higher than it was, you know, when I was recruited to play in college. I mean, it's a completely different level. You know, I was number one in the country. Would I have, at the level I played at, given my competition, would I have even been at the JCT, which is the top 32 in the country? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a, it's a different level. And I think everyone's getting more savvy. And I think schools, prep schools in particular, are prep schools are starting to realize that look, we don't just need a facility. We need a we need a program. Uh, we need a squash program. And this is a sport that you. It's a sport that deserves the degree of expertise from a coaching and programming development perspective that a football team, American football team, would get or a right. hockey team. And it's also a community game, and you develop players by creating a community within the sport. Um, and I think we kind of came in right at the, at the right point with that. Once we had our eight courts, it opened us up to host, um, and to run school programs. And in our first season, um, in different capacities, we ran three different school programs. Um, uh, so we ran a school, we ran a school program that had six courts. We ran a middle school program that didn't have courts. And we ran a school program in Boston where we used a mix of rented courts near the school in Boston and our own facility as a home facility. And it, it was, first of all, all the schools did 
phenomenally. There was huge improvements in the results that they had due to the quality of the coaching, I think, and the quality of the program oversight, which wasn't even a, an ambition of ours. I mean, we really just wanted to get, get in there, provide great coaching, give these kids a better, you know, a better toolkit to work with to improve. And you know, we weren't even thinking about real-time results. But what Nick, Nick and the other coaches did with these kids was unbelievable. I mean, it was really amazing. Um, huge improvements in a single season. And we're going back next season, we're working with all these schools, and we all have other schools in the mix as well. So I think something that you know, we have to get there at the right time was that it's just the sport is at a point now where it's going to start to be treated like these other major American sports um, in terms of the amount of resources given to it. And our appeal as a program was the expertise we brought there and the vision we had for, for developing a program, what I, what I call the activating, activating these spaces and these, these programs. So is that, is that something that, that the schools are interested in as well? Or, or like the, the, the school administration, would they be interested in that as well? Or, or do they just see squash as, uh, you know, just a facility? Uh, and with a small program, or do they see see it in the way we would like to see it, the way you described it? Hugely interested. I think. I mean, it, it always has to do. It always has to do with the administration. There's different differing levels of interest um, within administrations, but having a successful squash program is massively exciting to these schools as they recruit from abroad, um, which right. is a big from abroad and from within the United States. But if you have a, a bustling, you know, a bustling successful squash program and you send a few kids on your squash team or, you know, to great schools, um, the uh, what that signals to potential students in Egypt, in China, in South Korea, mm. uh, in Europe, uh, we had someone visit from New Zealand with one of the schools we worked with to learn more about the American prep school system and the college pathway. It, it's a really, um, it's a great advertising tool, um, and it's a really great way to grow a diverse and varied student body and to get people involved in your school that you wouldn't otherwise. I mean, obviously, here we're still talking about a, that very niche, old-school American um, prep school network, but I think, you know, it really has applications for the growth and the visibility of the sport, sport beyond that. Mm. Um, so there's been a there's been a huge amount of interest in what we're doing, and we're you know, we're expanding out into other cities. We're, we're going around the United States um, on invitations to chat with programs, um, and now you know now that I'm really settled and cemented here, my real near term goal now is to really get the public schools involved more. Yeah. Um, so we're we're reaching out actively and we're working actively with with parents and the school administrations to develop public school club teams. Um, in public school programs and having them compete alongside the, these prep schools during the season. Well, I guess uh, it makes sense because uh, I guess with the big name sports, so, you know, like basketball, baseball, or, you know, volleyball, sports like that, they're, I guess most of the, uh, the spots on those teams would be uh, uh, by uh, American-born uh, born players. Meanwhile, I, I think squash has a, a broader scope and, and in terms of uh, international uh, students you'd get quite a few who who might be interested yeah definitely we had um we had an event uh we we hosted before the u.s junior open which was in massachusetts nearby the club and we had kids with juniors and their families and coaches from five different continents there training with us 
Mm. Um, and there was a ton of interest in squash as a tool for, you know, for college. Um, and it can either start start with a, t- a tool as an entree into an American prep school and then on to college, or it can be straight from abroad to call a U.S. college. But you know, it's an incredibly attractive thing as a student and as a parent, and it's an amazing tool. And it's still a niche enough sport that the effect of being good at squash from a you know from this very pragmatic college application perspective is so much higher than it is from lacrosse or tennis or soccer. And mm. um, so it's, it's definitely something that's uh, extremely, extremely interested in, and it has, it has huge implications for the growth of the sport down the line. And you know, also, in terms of launching uh, a professional career in the sport, you know, when I was in college, most people would say, "Wow, would you really, if you want to be a pro squash player, does it really make sense to go to college?" And you know, maybe it did, but it probably in it but if you look now at the level of college squash mm. the resources of the facilities the resources of the coaching and the resources of the teams and as training partners i mean it's at, it's really and you look at results look at ali farak look at no, it's definitely it's definitely at another level now isn't it it's another level and it makes it makes so much sense now mm. you know if you want to be a pro squash player to go to a great American squash program and get all the resources from it. I mean, for the first year, I mean, I think they're a little dulled, dulled to it now, but for the first year that Nick and Matt here, every one of these, you know, not even like ma- necessarily mainstream prep schools, but every school we went to with squash courts, Nick and Matt's chins just dropped. They just could not believe <laughs> the quality of the facilities yeah. that are yeah. right here. Um, and, and it was just, it's just, there's such an opportunity. Well, it seems like it's to the point now with the, in terms of collegiate squash, uh, especially, I mean, all of those big name schools, I mean, they're, it's at the, it's at a very high level in terms of not only recruiting, obviously the players, but uh, getting big name coaches in there to run, run the programs. Whereas before, you know, you had some, some big name coaches, but it wasn't as, uh, you know, pronounced as it is today. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a clear, there's not only a clear pathway of, junior squash into college squash but there's a clear pathway of pro squash into college mm. squash and coaching um and you know that capacity and not only builds the program i mean obviously being a great player is very different from being a great coach and a great administrator of course experience as a player is a phenomenal founda- foundation for coaching but um you know it obviously doesn't always work out but to have the resources of these amazing coaches running these schools um and running these clubs, Peter Nickel, John White, Martin Keith, all these guys um, involved in different classes. And also, ex, you know, you have a lot of coaches now uh, who are ex-top college, top, top college players, yeah. Trinity players, um, Rochester, St. Lawrence, Yale. It's, you know, it's just, it's only going to build more and more on itself. Um but I mean, there still need, there needs to be, I think, some pretty significant changes in college squash for it really to maximize its potential. Um, and one of the major things I think needs to happen is there needs to be a sanctioned, public, publicly visible um, challenge match protocol for the creation of team ladder. And I mm-hmm. think this has 
and I think College Bosch needs to address this. Um, and I think some, it's something some coaches might weigh. I think it's imposed, but I think you know the way teams are put together in college is a lot of cloudiness in terms of you know, who plays what number, and you know, I think right. there's a lot of kind of jockeying and strategizing about that. And I think by opening up. Um, so just sort, sort of a bit of gamesmanship going on there that's unnecessary or? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It happens in all the teams. Um, it happens through all the coaching and it happens in all the teams. Um, and I think. So what's the, what's the workaround for that? Like uh, how, how would you uh, suggest working around that? Cause it, it does make, uh, you know, uh, what you're saying seems to, uh, make so sense. It's very simple. I mean, you, you have, uh, there's a, you know, a time limit for when or a protocol for how often challenge matches must be played. And it's done in a public ranked capacity, um, rated capacity through U.S. squash the same way college squash is. So a, a challenge match between two players on a college team is um, refed by a U.S. squash ref. It's done in public where there's people there watching and supporting um and it's recorded and you know if if someone's going to throw a match they can still throw a match they're not they're a lot like less likely to throw a match in front of a crowd of people in um in a, a public environment when there could also be possible repercussions for their behavior from a sportsmanship perspective and it's it's not a huge deal but i think you would really add a whole other element to the game, both in terms of from a spectator and viewer perspective, but also a community involvement perspective and also just a degree of honesty mm. into how the ladders were created. Right. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Um, now, uh, Chesson, you also mentioned you, and I noticed on, on uh, in a lot of your, uh, I think maybe on Twitter or Nick, uh, Nick Taylor's uh, posts on Facebook, you have a uh, partnership with, with Dunlop. Uh, as well. Yeah, so we're really excited about that. That we just announced that last week, I believe, and we've partnered with Dunlop for the upcoming season. And so, mm. it's, uh, at the base level, it's going to give us access to what we think is a, a, a tremendous product and a product that's comparable to you know, the quality of programming we're delivering. But it's also going to give give us huge opportunity in terms of the names, the players, and the types of events we do through the club. So we're going to be, you know, we'll be bringing in Ollie um, Nor. We'll be bringing in all the Dunlop players for exhibitions, for programming, um, and it's just, you know, it's the resources of Dunlop and Strixon um, will, you know, allow us to grow, allow us to grow. Also, our YouTube channel, which we haven't even talked about, but that's okay. a major component of what we're well, doing. That's huge. Uh, I think a lot of people are enjoying the, those videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're loving it. Mean, it's awesome. We're up to um, thousands. We have over 2,000 subscribers at this point. We have hundreds of thousands of views. Nick's video on the serve had 75,000 views last time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And... Uh, one of the guys I play with, uh, <laughs> really, uh, he he likes his really foot. Uh, was it Matt and uh, Matt and Nick's footwork? That 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 little uh, skipping uh, kind of footwork that they were doing from um, yeah. to the ball, uh, maybe two yeah, to three, like yeah. That that was quite popular at my yeah. club. Yeah, oh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's just a way for us to to extend our reach um, and and show the type of stuff you know, Nick and, and the team are thinking about and the type of 
coaching they're doing, but we're going to, we'll, we have another set of videos coming out in the next, next week or so, which I'm really excited about. And I think this partnership with Dunlop is going to actually help us from a resource perspective in terms of delivering more and higher quality videos. We're also going to extend soon out you know, beyond this sort of technical on court component of the game into more of the culture of the sport. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be talking about the culture of the game, what you know, people like to eat and drink after squash, visiting different clubs, um, learning a little bit about some of the big personalities in the game through interviews and, and short documentaries on them. But I really, you know, that that is something we really want to explore and um, having the resources of, of this big manufacturer um, that has huge ambitions itself in terms of its growth and, and mm. believes in the growth of the sport is going to be a really great thing for well i'm back using a dunlop frame after a few years with with uh with the harrow frame but i've always been a dunlop guy and uh i mean their rackets are, are fantastic i'm using uh, uh i'm using the precision elite the gaultier the green one uh nowadays it's it's a, oh, a no. great racket yeah they're uh, i think the racket manufacturer has a lot of these rackets and these different smaller companies they don't have the same uh, resources in terms of development and um, you know, innovation and research that can go into improving the fans. And some of a huge amount of resources through restriction ownership, I believe. Um, and that was a big part of why we decided to partner with them um, in grand capacity. Um, and I think it's only just going to be symbiotic is what we both think in terms of um, promoting the brand and also great yeah now uh uh you've been great with your time uh chess now before you go i'd be remiss if i didn't bring this up um you know you and i uh we have uh, something uh, something very much in common now both our better halves are, are korean that's correct yeah and i found yeah. that out <clears throat> talking to you rather unexpected but that was a that was a funny a funny uh similarity we yeah. share but yeah, well, I spent 12, uh, 12 of the best years of my life in, in that country. And uh, as you know, I, I was very well connected with the squash community. I, when I landed there, it was pretty, the game was very much in its infancy. So and I was, pretty, I was playing reasonably well at the time. So I just landed at a really, really good time and met some great people whom you've met, uh, the Korean national team coach, Ku who I trained with quite a bit. You, you spent um, a bit of time there recently. What did you think of, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, of the squash community yeah. there? Yeah, no, through your introduction, um, we went out to Incheon, we visited his facility, we also and met who was incredibly gracious and hosting us and <laughs> chatting with us and we had, a, we had a ton of fun. We, we went yeah. all over Seoul, we played, we had <laughs> obviously ate great food and drank great, great uh, beer and alcohol. Uh, Makali, uh, <laughs> soju, Mexico, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Like, you know, all of it. Uh, Tangju, awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we had that too. All, all of, all of the, the various liquors, um, which taste, you know, that much better after playing mm. a ton of squash. But it, it, the game still there is very, very much in uh, an infant state. Um, yeah. and I think I had a bunch of meetings last time I was there and I I said in this meeting I was doing a presentation for a, a sports club that we were we were actually did a camp while we were over there 
Um, and I said, look, squash, squash can be the next golf in Korea. And yeah, there you go. I was so excited about saying this. All broke into, they all just burst into laughter and said, do you know how many people say that to us about every different sport? And I said, fine, okay, sure, I get it. But just hear me out. I mean, you've got a sport that is you know, very technically oriented, that you can get the same degree of technical obsession that you can get with golf. You've got a sport that is um, incredibly good from a fitness perspective for yeah. a culture um, and population that is very fitness interested. Um, and you've got a sport that is a direct pathway to an elite American education, which is also an exactly yeah. um, in South Korea. And uh, it, I think squash in, in South Korea has humongous potential. Um, mm -hmm. I got my not a lot of bandwidth right now, and I'm focused really on the local and making this work. But ultimately, I think there's so much opportunity in South Korea um, and, and in China as well um, yeah. for what could be done with the game. You know, if you zoom out a bit and you think about China, it, it, there's all sorts of implications for there's issues they're having with a sedentary population. It has great health benefits. There's also issues with pollution. It's an indoor sport. Yeah. And you can also extend, extend those same sort of new, in, new, new interests in fitness and, and American sort of an aspirational um, activity. So South Korea, it's an awesome place and it's an awesome place to work out and then go party afterwards. But it's also, I think, a really great opportunity for the development of this game as well. No, definitely. And, and I think where you were there in the Hanam area, uh, there, there are probably several, and uh, at least there were the last time, was there several small clubs that you know, sometimes they just quickly, they go to business and then they open up again and, and uh, they just need the right kind of, the, the right people running it. Uh, and then it, it would really take off uh, someone with the right mindset, someone like, like you or yeah. like-minded yeah. like that um, to get things going properly. So, and I, think, I think so too. And I think, you know, I think there's also, there are inherent cultural challenges. I mean, the Coos Club and the clubs that are over there, they're very hierarchical. It's very Ooh. much like there's three well. floors, <clears throat> top floors, the pro players, the middle floor was for um, sort of am um, amateur kind of mid-level players, and the bottom floor was for um, beginners, and that doesn't work. I mean, no, that's not how you. Well, that, that a lot. Of, I think that, and you you know this as well as I do. I mean, that that's a cultural thing. I think there's a bit of culture involved in yeah. in, in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's what I mean. My wife and I were talking for a long time about that, and we we're saying like that's a real challenge. Um, yeah, and you know maybe it does someone from outside the culture to come in and say, hey, look, this is how we do it, so it's okay if you try it this way when you're with me for a bit or, or something. But yeah, there's definitely challenges, but there's definitely huge opportunities. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting place. And I think if, if Korea got into golf, it would be, a, a, I'm sorry, if Korea got into squash the same way they got into golf, mm. there would just be huge interest and yeah. a huge um, improvement in the level. Um, right? but, yeah, it got me excited thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, do you have any plans to head back there? Maybe, maybe you and I can uh, can hook up and and do a little tour of uh, of uh, of the country. Do some exhibition. Oh, uh, I would right. love that. <laughs> oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. I, I would love it. We I, uh, we, we could call it the Noribong Squash. Uh, Noribong Squash uh, <laughs> Tour, sponsored by Infinitum. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, Nori Bong, by the way, is where where you go after uh, after you've played squash and had a few a uh, few drinks, and then you go there to have a few more, right? Exactly. The singing room, yeah, and that's what yeah. makes it so great. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and also uh, congratulations to your wife, by the way. I think she's now she just uh, finished medical school. Thanks. Yeah, she is uh, going to be an emer a resident in emergency medicine at Boston Medical Center. So we're very fortunate in that we get to stay in the city. I get to stay local to the club. And uh, if you get hit in the mouth with the racket, she can There you go. Up. <laughs> right on. Well, Chesson, is there anything we left out there? Uh, it's been a great, uh, it's been great chatting with you. Is there anything we left out there? Nope. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much for the time and uh, the interest. And it was, it was a lot of fun talking about what we're what we're doing and what we're trying to do going forward. Well, I think the vision is is awesome, and the team you've you've assembled uh, at, at Infinitum is a great one, and uh, it's only going to going to grow and get better. So, I uh, just want to wish you, Nick, and the rest of the guys uh, at Infinitum all the best uh, going forward. And definitely, uh, let's uh, pursue Thanks. this uh, pursue this Korea thing. Uh, over the next uh, little while because I'm keen and I'm always looking for uh, for reasons to go over there again. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and I, I absolutely. So for anyone listening that has any ideas or thoughts on that, we would, you and I, I think would both be very game. Well, that was great. Thank you so much, Chesson, for a great chat. And I really, truly do hope that uh, that I get the chance to uh, to travel uh, or, or to hook up with Chesson in Korea, maybe play some squash, uh, hit the old stomping grounds uh, there, the, the, the squash in, in, uh, in Seoul and across the country is quite unique and very, uh, just like all of us, very passionate squash players in that squash community. And uh, I know Chesson, if, uh, if he has a plan to uh, maybe uh, branch out and bring Infinitum uh, to Korea, that, that would be a, a great addition to what they do over there already. So anyways, I'd like to be a part of that uh, conversation somehow. So uh, at any rate, thanks again, uh, Chesson. And uh, everyone, I hope you're enjoying uh, the British Open squash. Uh, there's some good matches coming up. Uh, watched a couple already, uh, both on the women's and the men's side. Sarah Jane Perry had a great uh, great win last night. She played well, 3-1 over uh, Joshna Chinapa. Uh, and the men's side is going according to, to the seeding, so we'll get to see some... Uh, some great squash from the quarterfinals onwards, and uh, hopefully your squash is going well too. Uh, I've been uh, been playing a fair bit, so uh, mine's going okay. Just still trying to keep uh, keep the body uh, strong and stay healthy, and uh, get out there and enjoy the squash. So uh, I hope the same is uh, true for you. Um, now, but don't forget, please listen. Uh, we've got uh, please keep on listening. We've got some episodes, uh, some good ones coming up after this. Uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, again, uh, I was quite busy with work over uh, at the beginning of the month. Uh, well, throughout throughout May, we have exams uh, at the college where I work. So, uh, And uh, I was uh, part of the internal audit committee, so my responsibilities doubled uh, there, and uh, that was quite an experience. Uh, I'll leave that for another day, though. At any rate, uh, we've got some some good podcasts coming up, so stay tuned for those. Please share and uh, comment like you always do. Really appreciate all of you who've been listening. So thanks again, everyone. Enjoy your squash, and have a great day. Uh, goodbye now. <laughs>